check, 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 uno, dos, two, uno, dos, tres, seven, seven, can you hear me? I can hear me. I can hear you. Awesome. Hope that doesn't fall. Okay. Well, welcome. Uh, I always feel like when I'm up here, I, I need to say hello to people who may be watching online. Although it's so good to gather, uh, we also know that there are people who are not here. I'll just leave this right here. That scared me a little bit. Did it scare you? Yeah, it scared me. Did that scare you? Good. All right, let's start over. Uh, We're going to cut this from the, cut cut on the website. That part won't be on here, so start over. Thanks. What do you always uh, feel like when you get up here? I feel like I am just always thirsty. No, you were going to greet somebody. Okay. So if you're watching online, uh, I just want to say thank you for, for tuning in. And uh, also uh, just want to say that if you haven't been on a Sunday morning to our uh, gatherings, that we would love for you to join us. Uh, for those who are here, thank you for being here. It is uh, a privilege, and I'm super grateful. Any uh, opportunity that I get to um, share the pulpit, and so um, Pastor Trent uh, had asked me about a month ago, and uh, we were kind of just prayerfully, did we, well, maybe not. It was prayerfully after, um, but we were like, what should we talk about? And and he asked me, and I just said, well, I really like Titus. And that was about as simple as that was. Um, and then we're, we're praying about it. Well, let's, let's think about it. Let's read Titus and, and see if there is something kind of God wants us to share. And so uh, we kind of landed in Titus 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, or your devices. Or your devices. You millennial. Point your devices to Titus chapter 3 young people. I love the sound of turning pages, by the way. Thank you. So um, while you do that, uh, I want to just share with you a little bit, because we st- uh, Titus is three chapters long, and we're going to the last chapter. And I think, I think we'll all see why uh, later, but um, the first uh, two chapters are kind of important um, before we get to the third one. So I wanted to give you guys some context First of all, um, of the author, um, who's the Apostle Paul, who's writing to one of his companions, someone who's been traveling with him for years, and uh, a co-worker in the ministry, and his name is Titus. So Titus is one of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So um, love these books. I often go to them as a young leader. Um, for encouragement, and so uh, they're not just for young leaders, by the way, um, but just encouragement from, from the Apostle Paul. And uh, Titus's work in uh, this island off the coast of Greece um, was called Crete. The island uh, name was Crete, and it was a large island, and in the ancient world, it was kind of known to be notorious, pretty, pretty notorious. And so um, it was well known in, in around the area uh, for just violence and treachery and greed. One of the uh, Greek words um, for uh, lying, for to be a liar, one of those words was um, kretizo, and uh, that means to be a Crete, a Cretan. 
Uh, and so uh, not very good reputation uh, in the ancient world. Um, and so lots of um, men on the island were known to be mercenaries, um, kind of just sold to the, to the highest bidder. And um, the cities around the island were known for, like I said, violence and just sexual corruption. And so you kind of get a gist of the culture, right? Um, meanwhile, you're thinking, why in the world did Paul decide to start there? Like, why, why in the world would you go to Crete to plant churches, right? Um, well, it happened to have some pretty strategic harbors uh, around the island that serviced lots of cities in, in that area. And so what better place to start a network of churches than Crete? Meanwhile, there's a ton of issues in culture that needed to be dealt with. And uh, the churches there were established. Paul had gone there before on missionary journeys. And so the, the churches, the home churches are established. And we don't have very much detail. But at some point, um, there were some corrupt leaders in the church um, that kind of decided to teach their own thing and do their own things. And it was ruining the church. And so Paul sends Titus and tasks him with um, restoring order and setting things straight. And so uh, the first chapter uh, is talking about kind of instructions uh, for Titus's tasks in the church. And chapter two focuses kind of on the function of what the church ought to be like and how we ought to treat one another. And then chapter three kind of focuses on that, but in the context of our community, the the culture that we uh, find ourselves in. How do we engage culture? Uh, how do we um, serve and act as the church uh, to other people in the world? And so um, that's where we find ourselves, um, and we just thought it was a, a, a timely message, one that spoke directly to us. Uh, and as we prayed and, and talked about it, we thought, man, this is definitely God, <laughs> you know, working through um, working through the text in our own hearts. And so we would uh, pray and hope that he would do so in yours. So, Yeah, and the other thing about the, the nature of this, this letter that we read, it's a letter from a, from a leader to a leader, right? From, from one who is a mentor to the one who is being mentored. And so you get this sense as you read through the book of Titus that there's this deep sense of mentoring or this, this counsel that the author is giving to the recipient. Um, and, and it's pretty cool to read that relationship into the words of text. And, and we, remember, we remember that as we, as we read through this text, that this was Paul talking to Titus, who was learning and growing and learning how to, to be a leader um, in this new crazy belief system, the way, you know, that they called back then. And so um, they're all just figuring out what, what faith means and what it means to follow Christ in this. And you get this sense of, of, of someone mentoring somebody else. I like that about, about the book. Um, and and just, so you're probably going to hear that a little bit as we, as we read the text here. So I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to read through um, Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Um, and then we'll kind of dive in. Titus chapter 3 says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, 
to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. So as we, as we work through this passage, we're going to look back and, and take a look at the, the verses. And so kind of go section by section through um, uh, several different divisions of this passage. So, so looking at verses 1 and 2 there, um, you know, the first thing that, that strikes me is that initial word. And it's very clear that, that it's to be translated remind. It's a, the, the word is to remind and there's a sense of Paul already having instructed in this way, that this has been a consistent message. And, and again, this is, this is a letter from t- Paul uh, to Titus, um, and he's kinda, he just hits it in, the, in these first couple of verses. Okay, here's our to-do list, folks. Number one, be subject to rulers and authorities. Number two, be obedient. Three, be ready to do whatever is good. Four, to slander no one. Five, to be peaceable. Six, to be considerate. Oh, yeah, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Easy. Right? Easy, especially in the world today. Very easy. Be kind and considerate to everyone. Be gentle. Be obedient. Do whatever is good. Be ready to do whatever is good. These were reminders. So he was kind of rattling off this list that he had already talked to, obviously, and, and, and challenged the people of Crete to go ahead and do this. And, and he's, he's asking Titus to remind the people um, of what had already been taught. And in Greek, there's all these different um, parts of, of um, or, or different designations of verbs in the Greek language. Um, and it's, it's largely lost in the English language. But in the Greek, this verb is present, present tense. It's active, go do this. And it's imperative, like go, go do this now. Like this is a mentor telling his uh, person, the, the person that he is mentoring, let's go do this now. Make this present tense. Let's, this is an imperative verb. Go and do it now. Um, as I look through this list, um, the, one of the phrases that haunts me, do you get haunted by Scripture sometimes? Does it sometimes challenge you that way? It says this, be ready to do whatever is good, every good deed, every good work. It's very Pauline. Paul is the only one who talks that way, uh, in the, or the one who talks that way the most often in, in the New Testament. That's a tall order. That's a tall order that Paul gives us to, to do 
every good work to to um, to be ready to do whatever's good. There's actually a a core guide. Uh, I think it's Wednesday that that talks about just th- that heaviness that that we're to be ready for that. Sometimes I go through my weeks and I'm not ready for that. You know, like you kind of get distracted by what's going on and and the schedule or the pace or or what's going on. Um, Lastly, I, I look at um, the, uh, the last phrase, always be gentle toward, toward everyone. That's a really difficult thing for translators to translate. And if you look, uh, if you have several different versions of the Bible or if you have a resource online that you use that can look at different resources, look at the different ways that that last phrase of verse 2 is translated. Um, perfect courtesy in one translation, a consistently gentle disposition, another one says, Every consideration, always a gentle attitude, true humility. Um, there's all these different nuances that the translators are, are trying to get across there. But I love the word gentle. I think as Christ's people, we're called to be gentle. That, that we offer in humility, that we, that we care for people as we talk to them. Um, I, I, one of the things that I see in, in the church today is kind of this brashness, like this harshness, like we're the ones that that challenge people to to live out this different way of, of living, and, and certainly that's okay in this context where Paul's speaking to Titus or when a pastor is speaking to a congregation to challenge them, and yet out in the world, I'm not sure that we're supposed to be harsh. I wanted the hallmark of the Christian people, the people who follow Christ, to have this deep sense of gentleness that underneath what, what we believe and how we choose to live, there's a sense of, of care for one another. And, and I, love the word, I love the word gentle. Um, clearly, there's, there's some difficulty in translating it and how to how to figure out how to express it between the different translators but i love that sense of of being gentle toward everyone yeah yeah i agree the the cool thing about this the the first two um verses in this passage is that it's like pastor trent was saying kind of the instructions the what kind of the meat and then the next um the rest of this passage that we're going to go through is it's kind of the why um why we do it and so um, the list, though, that we find, the six basic instructions, is pretty countercultural. It's pretty uh, oppositional to the culture like we talked about in, uh, in Crete. Uh, even the gods that they believed in, right? Uh, you think of Zeus, uh, who they boast, the Cretans boast, that um, Zeus was actually born on the island of Crete, and um, he was uh, seductive and just manipulative and violent and lied. And so you see this opposite picture of, of a God of love and truth and gentleness and kindness. Like, it's pretty bizarre for those, those people to, to try and grasp and then to then change their their kind of way of living, their culture, but it's out, of, it's out of love in which they're compelled, not correction necessarily, right? Uh, do this, do this, stop doing that. It's, 
let me model this for you. Let me show you the things that matter, the things that um, are important. And so uh, he goes on to the why. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And this, this brings me back to when I uh, was in middle school. Uh, and I was... Uh, I remember those days. You remember that? I remember. I was there. So sorry. <laughs> and and uh, I remember the things that I... The things that I liked doing, and the thing, the people that I liked being around, and um, the kinds of things that I thought if I did, I would just be more liked, and uh, they're totally opposite of who I am now and what I read in Scripture. Um, in fact, that experience gives me greater compassion more grace towards teenagers, right? Especially the troubled ones. My heart is drawn to that because I see myself in them. And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't you remember what your life was like before Christ? What's, what's your BC, right? And so for me, BC was a lot of hate and a lot of jealousy and trying to compete. Who's, who's better? Um, and in middle school, that kind of plays out in, in really weird ways. And uh, there's still a lot of hurt and pain uh, from those years, even now. A lot of broken relationships and friendships. And yet, if you are to ask my classmates now, 10 plus years later, um, they would say that they saw a significant difference in the way that I lived, in the way that I talked. Um, and they couldn't explain it because they didn't know I was here, you know, in this place, belonging to this family, and watching, watching you, hearing you changed my world, right? Um, and so my language started changing. Uh, my clothes started changing. Uh, and uh, and I, I began to love the things that God loved, and he opened my eyes to see the world through his eyes and to have grace and compassion towards others who were like me but not anymore. And so uh, it helped me to love, love them more and, and really drew me into a call to minister to youth because of it, so... Yeah, and, and I, I love that, that third verse because it, it kind of draws us all in, right? This is, this is Paul that's talking. This is the mentor that's talking, and he doesn't say, yeah, and at one time you were foolish and you were disobedient and you were crazy middle schooler. Mm -hmm. uh, he, says, yeah. he says, we too were foolish together. This is me. This is you. Paul had a story. Right. Paul had a story, right? We know a little bit of Paul's story. Um, I, I grew up in the Christian home, right? Um, and had everything handed to me in faith. I didn't have to fight for anything. And I've got a story. Totally. And I was foolish. And I, I had moments of disobedience. And, and, and honestly, when 
we sing songs like open, open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears. Sometimes the song is open my blind eyes, unlock my deaf ears, right? Because there's moments where we, where, where we can just relate, right? With, with both Paul and with Titus saying, man, this, this is my story. And, uh, and that, it changes the whole context of ministry for me. That, that when this community of faith is ministering there on Crete, when this body of faith is ministering in Centralia, we say, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, and deceived, and enslaved by our passions and our pleasures. Um, that's me, and that's you, and that's us together, and that's, that's the people who were, were serving on Crete. And so we have this sense, um, this is, it becomes a, a picture of the people to whom we're supposed to act in ways that are described in, in verses 1 and 2. And yet, it gives us deep and heartfelt compassion for those that we go to minister and serve. So that's great. Um, as we look down um, through uh, verses 4 through 7, um, we have this huge word at the very beginning, but, but, well. It's a huge but. It's, it's a large one. It, it, it's transformational. It turns the story around and says, God enters in. This is the point in this passage where, where God enters in. We talked about where we used to live and, and where the island of Crete was and where the neighborhoods of Centralia live. And then God enters in. The kindness and love of God, our Savior, appears. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when God transformed you, when your life was changed, when, when you began to see things through God's eyes, just like you, you, um, you described. Um, and we get some, we get some amazing things written in here. Um, one of the things is he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Um, verse seven, so that having been justified by his grace, that's a, that's a tenant of Christianity, right? That we're saved by grace, that the God's grace enters into the picture and it makes a difference in our lives and in our eternities. God's grace is that saving agent. We are saved by his grace. And it's very, very remarkable how, how quickly that doctrine was articulated by those who followed Christ um, and, and has, has survived for us, that, that, that we're saved by grace is an important picture of, of what it means to be Christian in the world today. Uh, there's a lot of um, alternative theories uh, uh, that, are, that are out there, uh, and that's the only one that holds up to Scripture. Um, there's, a, there's a sense also in here that, that there's this washing, this rebirth. That's, I think, in verse 5 there that it talks about the, the washing uh, of rebirth. And, and very literally in the, in the New Testament days, people would would believe and be baptized like that. They'd be like, I'm following Jesus. Let's go find some water, you know? Uh, and and, and that's, that's how baptism was back then. Um, but it's not really talking about this, the, the physical act of, of baptism, but it's talking about the interchange, the transformation, the, the washing of the heart, 
that happens for us, that, that we become new people, that the old is gone and the new has come. And that transformation comes by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. taking residence in our hearts and leading us and guiding us and prompting us. Um, and, and just the tremendous difference that happens when God rolls into this passage. I love the picture. Take, take verse 3 and read through that and then read through the descriptions of, of 4 through 7 and the contrast is stark that when God enters in, he makes a difference in our lives. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, when I was reading this this week, uh, it really jumped out at me the, the Godhead um, in, this, in this piece. You see uh, the love of, our God, of God our Savior and being uh, washed in rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, right? And then being justified um, by His grace. And, and I, I, love, I love that picture um, because we're already talking about community and kind of these, um, the, commun- the communal aspects of um, what it looks like to love others who maybe disagree with us or, or are different from us for what, you know, whatever reasons. Um, but then we are reminded then of um, the community in which God himself exists, right? And so um, I love that kind of woven in there. You know, I don't, I don't pretend to think that that was intentional, but I love that it's there and it jumps out at me um, when I read that. And, and he kind of finishes this um, passage by saying, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Um, this is a trustworthy saying is something that is repetitive for Paul in the pastoral epistles, and so you'll see it five times within 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, he's basically saying, hey, pay really close attention. Like, this is important. And so I, I want to echo that for us. I want to echo that for, for me, right? Um, and, and that this is how we're to treat other people with grace and mercy and kindness and that by this we have uh, more opportunities to share the gospel to, and to expand the kingdom because of that. It's not shoving the Bible down people's throats. Clearly you did not do that with me. And I had my own reservations um, because of past experiences with church. Um, some of you know that story. And, and I was really bitter. And uh, it was love and kindness and compassion that drew me to Jesus. Right? It wasn't rules. Um, though, though some of those tools are important, um, that wasn't what broke down the barrier for me to, to even care to listen one of, the, um, one of the quotes I love from, from Mother Teresa is that uh, people don't care what you know until, you, until they know that you care. That's huge. That's huge. And that's what this is saying here. And, and, and Paul uh, continues to just repeat it. I want to stress these things to you, and I want you to stress them to others so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing good. Are you devoted to doing good? Like, like, are you devoted to doing good? Does it matter to you that you do good? Does it make a difference in, in people's lives around you? The funny thing that I often find is that when I do good, it, it changes me. It changes my heart. 
Um, when we went to El Salvador, uh, I remember thinking that we're going to do all these things there, and they're going to bless the people. And when I came home, I, I was the one who was blessed by, by them, and we were serving them. And so it's, it's a privilege that we have as the body of Christ to serve others. And when they see those things done in his name, the barriers start to fall. And the Holy Spirit's able to come in and do his work in their hearts. And so um, one of the things that, that I was sharing with Pastor Trent this, this uh, week was in the military, when I served in Iraq, one of the things that I remember this this leader in training us said that we're not going there to bust down doors, although that m- might have been part of it. Um, we have to be careful with the rules of engagement. And so I remember hearing a lot of my comrades, uh, I remember hearing them say, no, we just want to kick down the door. Why are, we, why are you holding us back? And we, we just need to go in there and, and get the mission done. And the, this wise sergeant major uh, had said to us, we want to win their hearts. We want to win the hearts of the, of the Iraqi people. Uh, we're there to help. And so the rules of engagement was scary for us because we would need to sometimes go through people's homes to find someone uh, a critical piece to our mission, and uh, you get a little jumpy when you don't know what's on the other side. But oftentimes, there were children. And so you don't just go in there, guns blazing, because whatever that child sees will last for generations. For generations. And we're there to win their hearts. And so I want to tell you that we're here to win people's hearts. That when we don't do these things that Paul urges us to, it makes a lasting impact in our culture for generations. It builds the walls between us. I don't want to hear a thing that you know because I know you don't care. That's the message. And so we want to break those walls, true? We want to break through those walls and we want to be people who are obedient, ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be an encouragement, not a discouragement, to be peaceable and considerate. What would it look like in your home to do these things, to be really intentional about these things, to put them into practice? What would that do? for your children, for your spouse? What would that do for your school, your classmates, you know, uh, the, the kid who wears baggy jeans and chains? What would that do for him or her? What would that do in the, in the workplace and in our neighborhoods if we treated others with kindness regardless of their faith or background? What would that do? in our community, that people would see you and they'd be compelled by love. 
not by rules, but by love. The stranger who lives across the street, who's grumpy. What would, what would it do to take a meal to him? What would that do? Why are you doing this? It opens the door. True? And so, this is a trustworthy statement. Read these this week. Read this over and over and put these things into practice. Focus on one. If you can't, focus on one. Do you have a, do you have an, a problem talking about other people behind their back? hear that that one doesn't have a problem yet that doesn't look all right is is it hard for you to be gentle and patient with someone who just doesn't get it all the wives put their hands down chapter verse 8 says and and this just captured my be careful Mm -hmm. be careful it says to devote yourself to doing what is good. Careful is an intentional act. Totally. Careful has, uh, has, there's effort that's there, right? That, that we have to think it, we have to want it, we have to plan it, we have to do it, and we have to do it with the right spirit, that care is taken in doing these things, which takes us back to gentle, right? Totally. I mean, just how we're, how we're doing. I love the stories that you share about um, ways that, that, that line up like have you have you known the guns blazing christian that doesn't isn't very effective in winning hearts i've known the gun blazing christian before um and it goes back to me to to really connecting and seeing ourselves in the eyes of of those that we live near you know that, that we're not that far away from people who who don't follow God, who are pre-faith, that, that, that don't follow Christ, we're not far away from them. That I, too, remember days of being foolish and disobedient. We need to not... This is scary. I have kids, so this is scary. We, we need to not insulate ourselves. We don't isolate ourselves but we have to be ready to love. Just my life on your life, your life on my life, um, out in the world at every opportunity. And that takes careful preparation. That takes intentional preparation. Um, I, love, I love this passage. I, I talked in one of my recent sermons about um, just the Pauline side of of uh, how faith is presented and that it's very transactional. It, we get these great great statements like being saved by grace through faith. Um, and then we look at the gospel and Jesus kind of lives, I mean, he's not, <laughs> he never says that. You know, Jesus never says, hey, Paul, when you get saved, after you get done <laughs> persecuting my people, say you're saved by grace through faith. Um, Jesus just does it. Totally. You know, he just lives the life. He, he, he touches the leper binds up the brokenhearted, walks alongside the broken. For the Zacchaeus who couldn't see him, he says, come down, we're going to your house to have some bread, to break bread together. 
And he lives out the gospel of just this incarnational ministry of going to people and caring for them where they find them. The woman at the well gave her living water. Um, this is a place where we see Paul. Paul's heart is to be that same person, totally. right? Yeah. To go and do these things and to, to serve people in these ways. Uh, and so we have to walk this balance of, of being doctrinally correct and being incarnationally present for the world around us, for our spouses, for our children, for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, and even the grumpy cry across from your house. Oh, I uh, wasn't talking about me. Oh, oh okay, okay. Well, I'm afraid I'm the grumpy guy <laughs> across the street. I need to ask my neighbors about that. But uh, uh, anyway, we, we are saved we are Christ followers to do good for the world around us. And we invite you today to enter into that story and to be part of, of winning the hearts for the kingdom's sake uh, of the people that we live with and next to um, each and every day. Yeah, I want to close with this idea that um, we're called to be set apart, but not to be separate from. Uh, that was my kind of understanding uh, when I became a Christian, and I was kind of immature in that, and, and I wanted to just separate myself from all my old friends, and yet they needed what I had. Mm-hmm. They needed what I had, and, and I thought, you know, well, now that I'm a Christian, I just need to not be around them. And so my, my, uh, my hope is that, that we would be intentional about making an impact on our culture and finding the balance there because I think there's a danger too that we could allow culture to make an impact on us for, for, um, for negative reasons that are contrary to the gospel. And so we need to be careful and yet um, do it in such a way that is compelling, right? That, that lifts up the name of Jesus. And so I love the community aspect of this, and so we thought it would be appropriate to have uh, communion this morning. And so we want to share in that, and so I want to invite the um, worship team to come up and to lead us. We're going to have you uh, come forward this morning, and uh, as we prepare, uh, I want to just um, tell you,